Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Stephen Reinstadler. He's the Infrastructure Marketing Manager at Covestro. So, Stephen, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm really excited to dig in on the topic. You've, you've worked for a big materials company on the coding side, and you've been involved in a bunch of things. But when I was doing my homework on, for this interview, one of the things that really stood out for me is you are a sort of science demonstrator for 32 years. What's that all about? Yeah, yeah. We at Covestro, some of our former names, Bayer, Mobay over the years, we've always had a really strong outreach program, student outreach program. So we've focused on that STEM education. And, you know, I tell people the reason I'm passionate about it is because it works, right? If it didn't work, if it was just nice, okay, that's one thing. But it really works. Doing those little nudges and, and getting students to understand STEM, that benefits anybody. To understand how a concept works in STEM, there's no downside for that. So yeah, I've been doing the, through our program at Covestro, we, we go out into the classrooms and we do hands-on science experiments. And greatest thing is seeing the, the faces of the kids sometimes. You do an experiment, even if they're not along, if they're just along for the ride, you know, and they're showing all those signals of the arms are crossed and the, you can see their faces like this. But then all of a sudden they do an experiment and let's say we do an exotherm and, and it heats up and you see the eyes get this big. Oh, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's, I tell people jokingly, I do it for very selfish reasons because it's great when you're done, you feel a sense of reward there dealing with those kids. So oh, yeah, wow. it's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I, I'm big at trying to promote kids into those type of fields. I have young children at the time of airing, probably will be 10 and eight daughters. Like as parents, you may get asked this a lot, what parents can do to engage their kids into that? I mean, obviously they can participate in events, but what is your answer when you get asked something like that? Yeah, a parent does not have to have any background in STEM. They can have any profession. And what I tell people, because I've been asked that before, spark their curiosity, ask them questions that maybe they wouldn't have asked and let them know it's okay to ask those questions, right? You can have a business degree and you might, or an accounting degree, but if your kid is looking at something or, or playing with something, why, why do you think that works like that? Or what do you think makes that work that way? Or just asking like little questions like that, letting them know it's okay to ask questions about that stuff and get them to start the thinking process, right? That curiosity process. You know, it certainly helps that the internet right now has a gajillion places you can go to find these little at-home experiments, right? That uh-huh. certainly helps the parent today, which my parents certainly didn't have when I was growing up. But yeah, there's a lot of resources out there to do this kind of thing. And just asking, the, getting them to ask questions and know it's okay to ask questions. I think that's a great part of it right there. Yeah, you just got to find the sites with the right experiments, right? We don't want them to do the wrong experiments. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. So, okay, yeah. so let's talk a bit more coatings. I mean, you don't want anybody to show up on the news at 6 p.m., right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> every every parent's dream, right? <laughs> right. Let's talk a bit about the coatings market. I mean, you've been at a coatings company or materials company for 30 plus years. How has the industry changed over that period of time? Yeah. Yeah, you pointed out, thanks for pointing out that I've been there 32 years. Thanks a lot for that. You know, I, I really appreciate you. Making sure everybody knows, you know, how actually I started there when I was seven years old. Can I tell you? No, I'm just kidding. No, the, I'll, I'll tell you the, the big things that have changed, some of the dramatic changes have been the focus from just making that dollar to really more of an encompassing, more sustainable look at this industry. You know, it used to be 20 years ago, people would talk about VOCs coming down from 450 to 340 gram per liter. In the case of floor coatings, below 50 gram. So wrapping in and embedding sustainability into that overall way we do business, that's really been the biggest change. Where instead of just looking at performance, one of the components of performance was that sustainability factor there as well. That's strong. I like that. So I think you, you talked about sustainability. I know when sustainability first started to happen, a lot of these innovations that were coming out cost more, right? And, and maybe there was a, right. a stigma attached to that. Sustainability is not a financial feasibility. How do you, how do you answer that? How has that evolved? Yeah. Yeah. I think the industry has gotten smarter in the way they do it. So globally, the way they just folks define sustainability, there's three components to it, right? There's that environmental component that we all think of. There's the social early on, as you pointed out, you're absolutely right. People were just focused on that environmental component. And a lot of times the solutions that came up were more expensive. But fast forward a decade or two, and the industry has gotten smarter. So what they're doing is they're looking at what nature provides us, these different building blocks or different processes or waste streams and incorporating those into products so that you have, that you have a product that could be defined as sustainable, but at a, at a reasonable economic cost, because it's always a performance to cost ratio, right? And as long as you're thinking in terms of environmental or sustainability aspects being part of that performance, you just got to embed it into that performance, then that ratio is going to make sense. Early on, what folks would do is they would go, oh, I have this really green product, right? It's all, it's bio-based. Well, I'm here to tell you, you know, cholesterol is bio-based too. <laughs> and, you know, lead and cadmium and arsenic are all natural, right? So they would, they would say, you know, bio-based are all natural. And they would take that and sit it up on a pedestal. And that's all they'd focus on. Well, you've got to look at all the other things that matter as well, the performance of the product and the economics of it. And that's where I think the industry has really come a long way. They're able to make these products that make more sustainable sense. There's a couple of really strong triggers, cost-effective, performance to cost ratio. Yeah. So with companies that are going in this direction, whether they're a contractor, whether they're a materials company like us, like I guess one of the things that always comes to mind is everyone uses these buzzwords, right? 
but there's certain companies that are doing a better job than others in this. How do you cut through the clutter and educate the customer on some of the things that are happening to get them to make the best possible choice? Like, how do you, how do you cut through all the, the claims? Yeah. Well, first thing you got to do is you got to find a reputable source of information that is regionally or globally accepted. And at Covestro, one of those things that we've really focused on was the United Nations has their sustainable development goals. They're called the UN SDGs. If anybody Googles that, you'll find a lot of information on it. And there's a group of these, about 17 of these goals that the UN has put together to say, these are how we as a society globally are going to progress sustainably. And many of them don't have anything to do with codings, admittedly. But there's several of them, like SDG 9 talks about industry and innovation. SDG 11 is about sustainable cities. So when you read into those definitions for those SDG goals, you need to be able to understand that definition and then look at it from a standpoint of, does that product or offering or activity meet that definition? So again, there are some, there are some triggers that are easy ones to look for, but that's one of the things, is having a reputable source that has some really good defined definitions on what is sustainability or what is circular economy. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and I think looking at those goals, that's a great internal starting point. And so do you reference that in your communication to the clients as well? Or does that just give you an internal guidepost to start? We actually have gotten in the habit because we are, we are committed to those goals globally. We've actually begun to include it on our brochures and on our technical information. When we're at conferences where we have a parts card there, or a technology card, we're including by that definition, which of those SDGs does this, does this fulfill? It's very much like years ago when the Green Building Council put out LEED. A lot of the manufacturers of coatings, if you look on their sheet in the upper left corner, it might say that it meets U.S. Green Seal GS-11, right? And GS-11 means that it fulfills the indoor air quality standard of LEED. So I see these SDG goals being used very similar to that, where they can be a part of the product specification, basically, is that for whatever reason, whether it's durability, reduction of waste, energy efficiency, bio-based content, whatever those triggers are, that it's put on a spec sheet along with all the other performance data, right? Yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned different seals and standards as, I guess, contractors, but more maybe more on materials companies. We're bombarded with all these standards that are required for different organizations from a state level to an industry level or whatever. You must, as a raw materials company, you hear the other side of this how should companies navigate this, prioritize it? Because especially for smaller to mid-sized companies, you just can't do everything. You'll just go broke chasing the, the next new standard. How do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say don't do anything different. Don't follow everything and add it on. This should become part of how you do business. How do you position your products? So if you're a small to mid-sized company, and let's say there's a QPL list out there, right? It lists a couple different products and you're able 
to meet one of those products. Maybe that's a product that you use all the time as a contractor. Position it. Still, you would still bid that, but with the added dimension your competitors might not have that are bidding on that job, that you are cognizantly thinking about positioning it as, okay, this has this sustainability factor that's part of those other performance factors, just like price, just like abrasion, just like waterproof, whatever, you're going to position that as you make the bid that your competitors might not be doing. By becoming that early adopter, you're really positioning yourself as the subject matter expert. You're becoming, let's say, that, that feeding trough, right? Once the horse comes to the feeding trough once, they know they can keep coming back to that. So that repeat business really does you good because you've positioned yourself as that subject matter expert. And obviously, you're looking, how are you going to monetize? How are you going to monetize? That's really by being that early adopter and being that subject matter expert, you set yourself differently than the other people that might be bidding on that on that business by factoring in those sustainability criteria as well as all the other performance criteria. It should just be wrapped around the way you do business. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. We talked about the sustainability side now in terms of technologies or the pandemic and the other shifts that are happening. What other trends or things are impacting the industry as you see it? Yeah, really, the, it's related to the sustainability, but the whole durability factor. I remember, I remember teaching at a conference, it was about two or three years ago. If I say it's two years ago, it was probably five years ago, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> so it was a couple of years ago, I was teaching a group of contractors about floor coatings, right? And we were talking about these higher performance type floor coatings that would last longer, right? I remember I had a group of about 150 contractors from all over the country in the room. They were asking a lot of questions. I got done after 40 minutes and there was a line of people waiting to ask questions. So we ended up having another half hour discussion and the whole durability topic kept coming back up because many of them were used to using maybe a, a one component epoxy, which has, don't get me wrong, good durability, but we were talking about things that would take it up a notch. Two component polyaspartics, for example. And the one contractor came up and said, can I ask you a question? So you've got these polyaspartics, I've heard of them, but I haven't ever used them. And we talked a little bit about them. And I said, you know, certainly use me as a resource in the future. Well, sure enough, he took me up on that. And about a month later, my phone rang and he said, hey, I took your course. You know, we were talking about the polyaspartics. I said, yeah. He goes, so I'm having a little bit of a problem. So it doesn't seem like it's curing. I'm on a job site here and it doesn't seem like it's curing. It's kind of like jello on the floor. And I said, okay, well, tell me. Tell me what, what's going on. He goes, so it's a two-component polyaspartic. So I have component A and component B, just like you told me. And I put component A on the floor. You can kind of see where this is going, right? Yeah, we've seen this and too. And then so I anyways. put component B on the floor. And for some reason, it's not curing up. And I said, well, remember in the training how I said, you mix component A and component B together, and then you put them on the floor, and you saw the light bulb go on, right? So these higher durability options are only as good as the training that goes into them and the understanding of the contract, right? So the higher durability is definitely a trend. And I touched a little bit there on as well, the training. Training has really changed, right? Over the last couple of years, even before the pandemic, you've got YouTube teaching people how to, how to apply a product. During the pandemic, I could tell you, I, I did over a dozen 
live webinars and different things to to fill in where we weren't able to do it live at conferences, right, in person. So that education component has been changing as well. And we just need to be adapting with it and having better ways to really get the correct training, especially on these higher durability products that have maybe a little bit different way of being used, right, than the, than the traditional products. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you started to talk about the training change. Now I'm interested in the extent of inspection and inspection technology, remote inspecting mm -hmm. versus on-site inspecting. What are the sort of progressions there? Are there any practical limits? Yeah, I think, I think not, let's broaden that even, not just sure. the inspection, but application as well, right? Got it. And even we could even include surface preparation, right? Yes, yes. There's definitely a shortage of the professional trades. I don't think anybody will argue that fact. Prior to the pandemic, likely after the downturn of 2008, a lot of these professional trades folks, they had to go find a job somewhere else and they haven't returned. So ever since then, you know, the last 10 years or so, we've had professionally trained folks with the correct NACE and SSPC certifications, right? There was all, there's been that shortage. And now with the advent, I see it as actually a very good thing, with the advent of being able to have AI and digital be able to do some, some components of that job. I say some because you still need to have a human behind the wheel, right? So for the surface prep, having these remote products that can do that surface prep, they're like iRobots or iRoombas you know, on steroids. They can go around on a concrete floor <laughs> and grind that floor without anybody behind the wheel. I mean, it's, it's amazing to watch. I, I just stand there and kind of shake my head because for how many years have we, we had the person that was walking along at about a half a mile an hour behind the grinder, right? And now we can do that remotely. The application, let's say we're doing a, a building, they now have drones that can apply in the output. And now with the inspection as well, that can be done remotely as well to check for film thickness and, and quality, even, even doing spark testing on, let's say, on a bridge deck to make sure you don't have any holidays. So I see all of that really contributing to this underlying shortage of the professional trades. So in tandem with that education thing, you've really got to make sure that those trades are getting taught about these new technologies as well. It's not just being taught that you're going to be behind a grinder and going with trying to put a certain profile on that concrete floor. Now you need to be trained on how to use this more advanced piece of equipment. So if anything, more training is needed, even though some of the facets of their job might be going away. It's just going to change what they're doing. Yeah, you mentioned something. I was talking to someone else recently and saying that you know, some of the, the trades are labeled as just low tech, but what's actually happening mm -hmm. in those trades is, is a lot more high tech than people realize. And it's the storytelling that needs to, yes. to, to go up a notch. So have you seen that as well? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why somebody had asked me once, they said, well, you know, you're really passionate around STEM education. I said, yes, absolutely. And they said, what about the trades? And I said, what about the trades? The, bringing up that STEM education, as I said earlier, that benefits everybody. If you're an electrician, a plumber, an inspector, there are so many concepts there that 
if you're building on that from when a, a student is in, you know, second or third grade, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that is so important for any of those professions. And it, it also helps that because of the shortage, some of those trades positions are pulling down six-figure incomes, right? I mean, that, that's certainly a motivator as well to kind of get away from that, oh, this is menial work. Uh, I'm sorry, this ain't menial work anymore. They're bringing in a good paycheck doing that work. So, But yeah, the, the whole STEM idea and, and this extra training on some of these more technical things, that's needed at any at any point in that in that value chain, right? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, you you've done a lot of things in this area. And yeah, I mean, for me, I've been more on the entrepreneurial side for a long time, but but for yourself being within the company context, I mean, what do you like about what you do? What what are things that maybe it's in the industry things or otherwise where there can be some other improvements? Can you sort of Give me a, a lay of the land on, on sort of your view there. Yeah, maybe like in a typical, you know, I do a lot of the, the courses for like architects, right, that you need to have for the CEU training. you got to have the benefits and drawbacks, right? You need to have that slide. So yeah, I would say the benefit of being in this where I've been, that over that 32 years, did I mention, thank you, you know, for pointing out how old I am? <laughs> over that 32 years, <laughs> I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of different projects, a lot of different technologies, a lot of these different, and that's really a benefit to me. I wouldn't do well if you locked me in a room and I had to do the same thing every day. And that's really been a positive benefit for me is being able to get out there and see all these different projects, whether it's in waterproofing or roofing membranes or floor coatings or you know corrosion coatings on bridges and water tanks. It's always something different, which really makes the time go faster, and you're much more involved and engaged that way. I would say one of the more recent drawbacks is my vehicle is a, is a stick shift, six-speed, right? One of my vehicles. Mm-hmm. So I, in car terms, we call that a handshaker, right? It's not an automatic. It's a stick. I like the, the feel of being able to go through those gears, right? Well, in the industry, I would say I'm a handshaker as well. I really like going out and engaging. And it's not that I don't love you here on the screen, but I'd much rather be talking to you in person, right? So that is a drawback here over the last year, a little over a year now, that not having these conferences and not having these different engagements with customers, all the different points in the value chain, that's been a drawback for me because I really do value that. And I think you learn so much more. Every conversation you have, you're learning from somebody and, and a different point of view, right? I I'll share this one point of view with you. I was building our, you know, we were in the process of building our house here about 15 years ago. And I was working with the contractor to get all these choices I had, right? And um, I'll never forget this one quote that I use even in my training. And I would have never had it if I hadn't stood on my lot here while we were building the house and had that one-on-one interaction. I said to the contractor, okay, what's some of the other choices I need to make? He goes, well, you're going to have a driveway. I said, yeah, I'll have a driveway. He goes, okay, what do you want? Do you want asphalt or do you want concrete? And I said, well, um, I haven't given it much thought. I mean, what, what do you usually recommend? Like where we're at here in Pittsburgh, freeze thaw, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, what do you recommend? He goes, and he kind of did this kind of roll of the eyes. And he goes, you know, well, with concrete, I can give you guarantees. And I went, oh, okay. Okay. Well, what are those guarantees? He goes, well, I can guarantee it's going to get hard and I can guarantee it's going to crack. So um, <laughs> I have an asphalt driveway. 
but I use that as a, as a learning example of, I probably could have had that written down on paper that I had two choices and I just would have picked one. But having that one-on-one interaction, like I really missed that. And I'm really looking forward to getting back live with people. I know the Codings Plus conference is coming up in December. That'll be the last SSPC conference. I'm really looking forward to, to being there live and, and seeing a lot of our industry friends live. And then I'm really, fingers crossed, everything goes well. And we start in 2022 being able to get back live with people and, and continuing that journey, that learning journey with folks. So Wonderful. I, I could relate with that learning side as well. So you shared a lot of information. Is there something that I should have asked but didn't? Boy, let's see. No, I think you're pretty good. It's almost like you've been to this rodeo once or twice. Huh? <laughs> um, well, I know. Uh, no, you... I think we covered a good. I think yeah. We covered... yeah, perfect. So, no, thank you so much. I mean, there's definitely things. I love your point of view from the materials, raw material side. It was awesome. I definitely learned some things. I'm sure our audience did as well. So I appreciate you sharing your wisdom on it. Yeah, perfect. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out YouTube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes, entrepreneurial tips, and more. See you over there. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.